May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. A friend from another city phones me frequently, wanting to exchange reports of how the day has gone. I like maintaining this connection, but frankly, I am often reluctant to give a detailed report of what has happened. Sometimes I can't even remember it. And, and to characterize my day as either good or bad. I especially feel this way because... My friend, nine times out of ten, has had a great day, a day he says he feels good about. Perhaps I'm somewhat skeptical. Could anyone's day routinely be that good? But I also question equating the good life primarily with days that go smoothly and are mainly pleasurable with virtually no pain or struggle. Call me a masochist. But scripture seems to back my sense that having smooth days should not be our primary aim in life. Of course, we humans naturally hope for smooth days without suffering of any kind. Jesus' disciples had this in mind when they thought of their future, following the one Peter declares to be the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. Jesus, they expected, would restore the kingdom of Israel and sit on David's throne. Perhaps like David, he would take up arms and enable God's chosen people to triumph over their Roman overlords and other would-be oppressors. After all, their God had provided such victories in the past as, as the scriptures told them. Peter and the others naturally expected that God, through Jesus the Christ, would ensure smooth days forevermore. But our Lord clearly had something else in mind when he predicted a future of rejection, suffering, and death for himself and perhaps for those who would follow him. This so stunned the disciples that with Peter as their spokesman, they dismissed this seemingly absurd notion out of hand. This shall never happen to you. And in their shock, no doubt, they didn't take in the strange notion of Jesus not only suffering and dying, but rising again after three days. Don't think that sunk in. But Jesus responded to Peter's rebuke with a strong rebuke of his own and made an important distinction between God's way of looking at things and our typical human outlook. The good life, from God's perspective, Jesus tells us, involves giving up our primary focus on protecting ourselves and on gaining advantage over others. It involves giving up these worldly ways so that all might be drawn together in peace under God's gracious rule. Jesus came to bring about a new way of life. He points to this focus on the well-being of others in chapter 1 of Mark's gospel when he calls the first disciples with the words, follow me and I will make you fish for people. In chapter 4, he teaches them saying, the measure you give will be the measure you get. 
and still more will be given you. To gain our life, we hear today, we have to lose it. Being saved requires a fundamental transformation in our way of looking at ourselves and others. Jesus rejects the way of the world's power games, which pit one group or one nation against another, defining some as superior and more worthy and others as inferior and less worthy. Instead, he begins to establish a new universal human community of mutual self-giving rooted in divine love. Getting from here to there won't be easy, he tells his followers, but the reward is nothing less than true life itself. We, like the original disciples, are not there yet. Without fully realizing it, we go around with an us-against-them mentality. We think in human ways, not divine ways. We reflect the consequences of historical developments such as religious division, slavery, wars, imperialism, segregation, and fierce political battles. Us against them is natural to us, sadly. But we cannot remain in that mode if we want to know and follow Jesus. The English theologian James Allison says bluntly that one of the first questions we can ask ourselves about whether or not we know Jesus is, to what extent are we caught up in a sectarian frame of mind? To what extent are our responses to people tribal, us against them? Any time we see ourselves as superior to others, even on the grounds of religion, Allison argues, we are betraying the very nature of the new community that Christ has created, in which belonging comes solely from the free gift of God, rather than from our own merits or from a contrast between ourselves and outsiders. Gift is why we belong. The church is supposed to reflect a different way of being, a different way of living than is common in the world at large. We forgive each other as God has forgiven us, and our love for each other stems simply from the fact that God has made us sisters and brothers in Christ. We are family, and that's enough reason to love each other. It's highly appropriate that before our service culminates in the mysteries of the Eucharist, we wish each other the peace of Christ. We offer each other the peace of Christ, which is a heavenly gift, binding us together regardless of our differences in the new community of love that shares the true food and the true drink, which is Christ. It's a holy union, which we celebrate most notably in the Eucharist. Yes, we have to lose our life, our old way of being, which we promise to do at baptism, but the results can be astounding and can affect the world around us for good. Again, change in this direction is not easy. Old ways are ingrained in us, and sometimes we are rather fond of them. But we must take up our cross, going where we are not always comfortable, 
in order to follow Christ and share in his joy. He might lead us, for example, to connect with someone who is suffering, often makes us uncomfortable, to minister in his name and to be instruments of his peace. Such care occurs regularly as members of our pastoral care teams, our flower guild, and others reach out from Trinity in various ways. Such sacrificial giving greatly benefits all involved, the giver as well as the recipient of pastoral care. My friend who telephones me about having great days has gifts for such ministry I know. And I hope he will take up this particular cross. I've suggested it to him, of course. <laughs> I, I predict Sorry, that days when he is involved in this will be smooth and satisfying in a deeper way than perhaps he has known before. Not to be too critical, you know. But um, we, when we give, we receive. And I, I, I can preach that living it out is harder. But what I'm talking about is reaching across boundaries, divides of various sorts. I think our uh, companion relationship with Bethel AME Church is a good example of this uh, redemptive effect of reaching across lines that in the past have been so hard and divisive. Um, and it's just a whole new world, you know, which is exciting. Losing our life and taking up our cross may involve changing our thinking about whole groups of people. Take refugees, for example. There is no question that as Christians, we are called to care about people in dire need, many of them fleeing horrible war situations, and to care for them to the extent that we can, regardless of their ethnicity or religious identity. Are we uncomfortable yet? European countries, for example, know firsthand the challenges that arise from the arrival of many needy people who cannot readily be integrated into the pre-existing society and culture. Huge challenge. The Europeans are responding in different ways and, of course, disagree over what is feasible. One can understand the fortress mentality of some who act out of fear of change and loss. We all can relate to that if we just admit it. But as Christians, our first concern should not be with boundaries and walling ourselves off. Our first concern should be with people who are truly in need, regardless of what policies we end up favoring. Caring about and for the stranger is a hard cross to bear. But Jesus may lead us cross-bearers in that direction, as difficult as it may be to accept it. Another quick example that hits me personally, the matter of Confederate monuments. As a historian and as a descendant of Confederates, I have always found the monuments interesting as signs of the history that has made a place what it is. I still, I still object to their being taken down rather than put in context. Nevertheless, through the grace of God, I am coming to see and appreciate other points of view, the reasons for them. 
I know as a Christian that people, not monuments, should be my first concern. My first concern should be to foster the love that Christ exemplified and makes possible whatever that may cost me. Jesus' admonition to Peter suggests that we can set our minds on divine things. As a biblical commentator stated, in our relationship with Jesus, there is the promise and the hope that somehow the divine perspective on who we are and what we are about breaks through. In him, God enables us to find a way that is different from the way of the world. Thanks be to God, who in Christ shows us the way of the cross, which is the path of life, and enables us to follow it.